What to eat was a day-to-day issue. What am I going to eat today was a day-to-day issue. It was on the forefront of their minds. For most of human history, what we take for granted, food, food and clothing, was more of a day-to-day concern. Which begs the question, and this was very relevant for Jesus' audience, isn't life about more than food and clothing? Isn't there more to life than just grinding it out day in and day out? And I believe Jesus thinks there is more to life. And that's what we'll get to today in the Sermon on the Mount. As we continue our study and through the Sermon on the Mount, we're up to Matthew 6. We'll pick up in verse 25. If you remember last week, he finished with, you cannot serve God in money. So last week, we talk, last week we talked a lot about, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but instead treasure the treasures of heaven. So now he's going to transition, and he starts off in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. So we've got a lot going on there. He begins this section with, therefore I tell you. And we always ask, what's the therefore, therefore, right? So he's connecting two ideas. Last week, he finished off with, you cannot serve. I always, I catch myself doing this all the time, so I'm going to back up. Because we love to separate these out, right? We break them into sections, and so I'm like, last week he, but Jesus didn't talk about that last week. Last week, we. This is one continuous sermon. So Jesus finishes off, and I don't even know if he finishes off, but you can say, you cannot serve God in money. Therefore, I tell you. It wasn't like, the, like it's this in thought that people are going to meditate on for a week. It's flowing together. And so he says, you cannot serve God in money. Therefore, so he's connecting this thought, right? The fact that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot do it. It was physically impossible. Now, we talked a little bit last week about how we think of jobs. You know, that you can serve two jobs. I knew a guy that that worked three jobs, three full-time jobs. He slept a lot on the job, but he was able to do it. And we think we can work two jobs. I I have worked two full-time jobs before in my life, and I can do it. 
But this isn't two jobs. This is serving two masters. And he's referencing a slave-master relationship. And it was just physically impossible because you served the master 24-7. You always were on call to your master. So it just wasn't possible to serve two masters. Now, some of us think we can do it. Some of us think that we can make God our master and also be a slave to money. And Jesus is making very clear that you cannot do it. It's just physically impossible. You will either hate God and love money or you will hate money and love God if you try to make them both your master. I think that's important to note. The way that we should actually helpfully view money is as a resource that God has given us. We don't need to hate money. As Christians, we don't need to hate money. Money is not the root of all evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. So if you love money, that's an issue. If you try to make money your master, that's an issue. But if you love God and view money with a healthy worldview that says money is a resource God has given me so I can use it for his good or for his will in my life, then you've got a healthy view. So that's his point right there, right? So because of this, because you cannot serve two masters, because you cannot make money your master and God your master, therefore, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat what you will wear, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you put on. So since you can't live for God and money, do not be anxious about life. Now Jesus used the term life here to describe the day-to-day aspects of life. And he describes it as food and clothing. Essentially, if you are so caught up in always thinking about these aspects you will miss out on the more important aspects of life. So for the second temple Jew, it was, what am I going to eat today? What am I going to wear? Now, for some of us, we hear, do not worry about clothing, and we think, okay, great. So maybe I can stop shopping at the Gap and start picking up at Walmart, right? And we, we, we have so many choices about clothing that this kind of gets lost on us. Because we don't realize that for the Second Temple Jew, most of them had an undergarment and an outer garment. And that was it. And on a cold evening, if you didn't have both an undergarment and an outer garment that you could use as a blanket, you could actually freeze to death. So for the Second Temple Jew, clothing wasn't something that they took for granted. It was a very important aspect of their life. It wasn't like I'm worrying about keeping up with the latest trends and the latest styles. It was actually something that could save your life. So they were really caught up with, what am I going to eat and what am I going to wear? But we don't, we don't really wrestle with that as much. In America, food is abundant. Sure, you might have to go over to the fire station on Tuesday afternoon, but you can still eat. And they'll provide you with enough whatever kind of weird food they give you that day. Like one week they gave us 20 bags of chips, I think. And I'm like, what on earth are we going to do with 20 bags of chips and three Cokes? I don't know. But, But we can still get food. We can still get caloric intake. 
You can go to a place and get really cheap clothing. So what do we struggle with when we think about the day-to-day minutia of life, when we think about the day-to-day aspects? Oftentimes we think of bills, bills, and more bills, right? We think about water. We think about heat. We think about electric. We think about the car bill. We think about insurance. We think about health. And then let's not forget about how inflation is driving the price of everything up. And we start to get caught up in grinding it out day to day, the bills of life that add up. And it becomes easy for us to fall into the same trap that the Israelites of Jesus' day did. To have anxiety over the day-to-day issues of finances. And to forget to think about the purpose of life. Is not life more than bills, bills, and more bills? But some of us don't even struggle with that. Some of us just struggle with keeping up with the Joneses. We see them have it and we want it as well. And instead of grinding it out day to day just to pay some bills, just to to, uh, live our life, we begin to grind it out for all the earth's treasures. And we do want to live for a greater purpose. And, And our family, isn't that a greater purpose? And so we know that a boat would be a fun thing for our kids to have and play with. And so we buy a boat because boats are fun. I know that sounds random. But it's the example I'm going to use today. So we buy the boat, and we have a great, and we justify it with, it'll be a great time for my family, and my family, and we're just going to bond together with this boat. So you're not just living for the bills, you're not just living to pay off your health care, but you're living to have family time, and that's what really matters, right? So you buy the boat, but the boat takes maintenance, so we put in extra hours at work to provide for the maintenance for the boat, and then... Since you have the boats and you've put all this money into the boats, you better use the boat, right? So then every weekend you leave to take advantage of the boat that you're putting all the money into. And we begin to see that, the, that you don't actually own the boat, but the boat owns you. Even if you bought it with the purpose of investing in your family, But the thing that you thought would help bring your family together ends up being the thing that can actually distract us from the things that matter the most. And we end up forgetting about the purpose of life. And we lose out on why we're even grinding it out anyway, because we just have to maintain the boat. And so we become so trapped by the day-to-day issues of life or we become a slave to the other things in life that somewhere along the way we stop living with purpose. We stop enjoying the gifts God has given us. And we become these machines that just grind away life until it's gone. Now, to make this point, Jesus will give us two illustrations. The first one is found in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So the first place we look to is the birds. 
Birds are everywhere. We see them so often that oftentimes we don't even notice that we're looking at birds, right? We hear them constantly that we, we, our brains actually start to tune out the chirps of the birds. So Jesus redirects us to a part of creation that almost seems insignificant. There are so many birds and they're so uh, all over the place that we just start to tune them out. They seem insignificant, So Jesus points to this part of creation that seems insignificant and reminds us that God cares about these seemingly insignificant parts of creation. He cares for the birds. Why wouldn't God care for us as well? The question demands that we answer, of course God cares for us. God cares for us for you. You are infinitely more important than birds. God cares for you. It's important to understand that. It's important to get this just embedded deep into our soul. God cares for you. And then in verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his life span, or span of life? So he starts off by giving us this illustration of birds and it demands, of course God cares for you. And then he gives us the negative argument of like, even if he didn't care for you, would this being anxious, would this, being, would this worry actually help out anyways? And the answer is no. The answer is clear. You can't add any amount of time to your life by worrying about it. Now, I know this answer doesn't necessarily help you you if you struggle with worry. Some of us struggle with worry. Some of us struggle with anxiety. And right now, you're like, great, just one more thing to be anxious about. Like, I'm I'm anxious, which I know doesn't help. And now you're telling me that being anxious doesn't help. And now I'm going to be anxious about not uh, the anxiety helping. I would like to not worry about it more. And we'll get to that. But it's an important reminder that all the worrying you are doing won't actually help. It's easy for us to get caught up in this anxiety. It's easy for us to get caught up in this worry and start playing out all the scenarios that could possibly happen, isn't it? Going over and over and again in your head. And yet how often do those scenarios actually pan out the way that you went over in your head? It doesn't actually help to worry. The worry and the anxiety you feel is useless. So why entertain such feelings? In all honesty, I think there's a certain amount of self-righteousness in worry and anxiety. Not always. It's not always self-righteousness. But sometimes there is a bit of self-righteous in worry. I've had people tell it to me like this, that they care more. That's why I have anxiety. That's why I worry Because I truly care. And you don't worry because, well, let's face it, you just don't really care like I care. So you hear that like little bit of self-righteousness there? If you really cared, if you were were as insightful as me, then you'd worry like me. So there's a certain amount of self-righteousness that accompanies worry and anxiety. But that's not always why we have anxiety. That's not always why we worry. Maybe you worry because you don't actually trust God. 
You say you trust God. You profess that God is in control. You profess that you can trust him, but you don't actually trust him. And your anxiety and your worry reveals that you actually have a lack of trust. The next illustration helps us understand how our worry comes from a lack of trust. It's found in verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Now remember, they weren't anxious because they weren't keeping up with the latest fashions. They were anxious because clothing was actually a big part of how they could stay alive. So, so, you know, it's not like he's mocking them like, oh, you silly teenager. You're not keeping up with the latest fashions. Why do you worry about that? This was an actual concern. If I don't have an inner garment and an outer garment, I could die. I could freeze to death. So, so it, it's, it's more than just a silly fashion. But why are you in, anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither spit, toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So this is a similar illustration to the birds of the air, right? But now our attention is directed to the flowers. And we all know that flowers are beautiful, but once again, they are so common that I think we really take them for granted. We can walk through our entire day and not stop to smell the roses. They're everywhere, and so we walk past them and don't even notice. And just like the birds of the air, they are not as important to God as we are. And so Jesus is emphasizing this by showing how short their lifespan is. They're here today, and they're gone tomorrow. At least the birds are around for a couple months. The flowers, sometimes they're around just barely for a day. And yet, Jesus, or God, cares for them. So in Jesus' day, the oven was used to cook food, so it was used all the time. And in order to use it all the time, they needed fuel, and there were a lot of places in Israel that didn't have a lot of trees. We live all around, you know, there's a lot of talk about wood. A lot of us use wood-burning stoves, and there's a lot of discussion about what type of wood you're going to use, how you're going to burn it, should we go cut today or not. But Jesus didn't have those discussions as much because there wasn't a lot of wood around. But what did they have plenty of? Grass. Grass that would eventually produce flowers but grass that would also be here one day and dried up the next. And so the grass of the field, when, when dried, made a hot burning fire that would die out pretty quickly. So the grass was a great fuel for their oven to cook food with. So here it is, this beautiful picture of these flowers that God cares for that grows up and they're, they're just gorgeous, they make everything smell good, and yet the next day they're going to dry out. And when they dry out, you're going to gather them up and you're just going to throw them into the fire like they're nothing. These were, Jesus says that they were even better dressed than Solomon, and yet they would be burnt in the oven the next day. And doesn't God care more for you then he does the grass. 
And the question demands a yes answer. Of course God cares more for you. Of course God cares more for you. God cares for you. He cares for you. I'm going to repeat it again several times because it's so important for us to understand. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the day-to-day aspects of life or, or thinking that God is far away, that he doesn't actually care for me. Or we look around and we see 7 billion people on this earth and our minds can't even fathom that number. I can kind of care for maybe 10 people in my life. We're a congregation that's floating a little over 100 now. I can't even get every name straight. How on earth could God care for me? And yet, God cares for you. We have to overcome this feeling that settles deep inside of us that says, God doesn't care for me. God cares for you. On a personal level, God cares for you. He has deep, intimate knowledge about you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And He cares for you. Quit buying the lie that God doesn't care. God cares for you. This last line that He gives in this part reveals that this is really a faith issue. Will he not much more clothe you? And the, the, the answer to that is, of course he will. And then he tags on, O ye or you of little faith. The anxiety and the worry that you have reveals your faith. Now the phrase little faith, little in faith, is in Greek it is oligopistos. And it's a compound word, oligo. Uh, meaning small or insufficient, and pistis, meaning faith. So literally, it is just small faith. Oh, you of small faith. Now, it's important to note that sometimes when we talk about faith, we just mean belief or like conceding to a point, conceding to an idea or an argument. And that's not what faith meant in Jesus' time. It's not just saying, okay, you were right, I believe. It's not just belief. Faith was to actually trust something. So I have faith in gravity. I have a firm faith in gravity. I really trust gravity. I'll tell you what, if I jump right now, I know it's going to pull me right back down. I can go mountain biking and I can take on some big jumps because I trust that gravity will pull me back down and I'm not going to flow out into, into space. But I also know and I trust gravity to work so well that I'm not going to take on too big of a jump because I'm going to get really jacked up because I just trust gravity that much that when I fall, I'm going to hit it hard. So I trust gravity. I trust it so fully that I never actually question gravity. I never have a thought creep into my mind that I might just float away off the earth. I never have a thought in my mind that one of my kids or somebody that, I'm, that I love is just going to float away because one day gravity might not work for them. I fully trust 
gravity. But I think we all struggle with trusting God like we trust gravity. And our anxiety and our worry reveal that we struggle trusting God. So anxiety is caused by a lack of faith. If you're struggling with anxiety, that reveals that even if you say you trust God, it reveals that you're not actually trusting God. He continues in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So because God cares for the lesser parts of his creation, this is the therefore, right? Because God cares about the lesser parts of his creation, both the birds and the flowers, we know that he will also care for us. And since he cares for us, then we shouldn't be anxious. So that is one of the cures for anxiety, to remind ourselves who God is and that he cares. When you are feeling anxious, when you have worry, one of the cures is to stop and remind yourself of who God is and that he cares for you. It is so easy to get lost in anxiety and worry, to, to have a situation come into your head and start to worry about that situation and mull it over again and again and again and to get so focused on the situation that you've lost focus of God. But one of the cures to anxiety is to stop thinking about the situation and refocus your attention onto God and reminding yourself of who He is and that He cares for you. The term Gentiles here refers to people who are still lost in pagan practices. And what are they concerned with? The day-to-day -day issues of life. What they will eat, what they will drink, what they will wear. For us, once again, that might be the bills we have to pay. Or the neighbors we're trying to keep up with. Or for some of us, it's even, how am I going to squeeze every last bit of fun out of life? But you end up living in anxiety because if you don't, then maybe you missed out on life. FOMO is a result of not trusting God. What if someone else has it better than me? What if somebody else out there is having more fun than I am. Am I just missing out? FOMO is a fear of missing out, just for some of you who, that's a clarification, all right? So, so that is, it's the fear of missing out. But what does the fear of missing out real, uh, uh, reveal? It reveals that you're not trusting God. Because maybe someone else is having more than you are. Instead of, I'm where God desires me to be, and God will use me where I'm at, and I can make the best of what God has given me at this time. What's amazing about Fossil, the, the church in Pakistan, and that pastor there, is that they're praying for us. 
They're second-class citizens who, who, when they clean the sewer, have to get in the sewer to clean it. And they're praying for us because they have a sincere faith in God. They are trusting God with, what, with the position they are in right now. They're not saying, but what about the American church? They got it so much better. Can I just move to America, God? And yet we get caught up on fear of missing out with little insignificant stuff like maybe they're having more fun over there. You know, this group of friends is pretty cool, but that group of friends is even cooler. So maybe I should go hang with that group of friends. Fear of missing out, grinding it away, just living for the day to day reveals that we're not trusting God. So what is the solution then? It's found in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So to seek first means to prioritize, to make it top priority. So to seek first means to to make the kingdom of God top priority, to make his righteousness the top priority in life. So the kingdom of God, making the kingdom of God top priority means to value what God values first. To make it a priority. To make God's values a priority in your life. This means spending time with family. But you don't need a boat to spend time with family. Sometimes it's just playing a game with your kids. It also means Bible study. It means prayer. It means giving your time, your talent, and your treasure to the needy and those in your community, investing in your community. It means living out the principles found in Scripture. Now, seeking His righteousness means to submit all parts of our lives to Him, to no longer hold aspects back. So many of us have pet sins, sins that we don't actually want to submit to God. Sins that we don't actually want God to speak into. Sure, God, cure me of these big sins over here. Take control of these big sins. But I really want to hold on to this little thing over here. And I know it's not much, but it's a cute little sin, so I'll hold on to it. And we don't want to submit every aspect of our lives to his righteousness. Now notice, Jesus does not say, seek first the kingdom of God and your own righteousness. He doesn't say, seek first the kingdom of God and earn your righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and make yourself right with God. He says... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The Pharisees believed that they could make themselves righteous. That they could have enough of a religious show, or they could draw a line and play around as much as they wanted with a wicked heart, as long as they didn't cross that one line, as long as they did the right things and avoided the wrong things, then they could be righteous. 
But seeking his righteousness does not mean earning his righteousness. Does not mean just a behavior change. But as we submit everything to him, he actually changes our behavior. So the Pharisees are what we, were, we would call legalists. People who think that they can earn their righteousness. And it is difficult to assess if we are legalists. It's difficult to assess if we struggle with self-righteousness. And first I'd like to say that if you are questioning, if you struggle with this, stop questioning. You do. Every single one of us struggles with legalism. Every single one of us struggles with self-righteousness. Every single one of us. You struggle with it. It's the world's operating system. It's how we operated before we came to know Christ. And therefore, it's, it enters and reaches into so many different aspects of our life. If you don't think that you struggle with legalism, if you don't think that you struggle with self-righteousness, then you are so blind to your own legalism and you are so blind to your own self-righteousness that you can't even see that you struggle with it. So if you don't think you struggle with self-righteousness, if you don't think you struggle with legalism, guess what? You've deceived yourself because you do. We all do. And now some of you who struggle with anxiety have one more thing to have anxiety about, right? Great. I also struggle with legalism. So I have anxiety about letting God down, and my anxiety is confirming what I have anxiety about. Letting God down. So it's important to note that Jesus is talking about the day-to-day -day things of life. Having anxiety over what to eat and what to wear, the bills we have to pay, Throughout this sermon, he has been refuting self-righteous legalism. Here, I don't think he's necessarily refuting self-righteous legalism. What he's doing is actually giving encouragement to the people who are under an oppressive, self-righteous, legalistic, religious system. These people who have watched as the Pharisees live day to day and strive and build up and amass wealth and say, see, I, it's evident that I am righteous and you are not. And so these people are struggling with this idea of, does God actually care for me? Am I actually righteous? And what Jesus is doing here is actually giving them encouragement. He's saying, stop having anxiety. He's not beating you up. But he's giving a reminder that he cares for you. No matter what the religious legalist tries to convince you of. That he won't care for you until you get your ducks in a row. That he won't care for you until you're good enough. That he won't care for you until you have the right doctrine. That he won't care for you until... Jesus is giving encouragement to those who are feeling beat up by the legalist. And he's saying, look... God cares for you. You're more important than the birds. You're more important than the grass of the field. God cares for you. Stop beating yourself up. Start thinking about his kingdom and his righteousness. 
Think about how great he is and how great his grace is toward you. And as you do that, your worry and your anxiety will become less and less. Now, there are times in my life when I worry. I think if someone says that they don't worry and they never have anxiety, I think they're probably lying. I can relate to times when anxiety kind of builds up like a bowling ball in my gut, and it just feels like it's knocked the wind out of me, and I just want to give up. The solution is not to worry more. The solution is not to rework over and over again the situation, not to rework what I should have said, what I could have said. It's not even to look forward and say, here's all the things they might say to me, now here's all the ways I'm going to retaliate. That's not the solution. The solution is to meditate on who God is and to remind myself of his goodness and his grace and that he cares for me and that eases my anxiety and that eases my worry sometimes the worry and the anxiety is well founded I've talked before about how my first wife died in a car accident after Jen and I got married there were several times when she was out driving and I wasn't with her if she wasn't back on time you know what thought would start to creep into my head right And that anxiety and that worry would start to build up like a bowling ball in my gut. And right away, I'd want to text her, which, by the way, if someone's driving, what's the worst thing you can do? (laughs) Text. The solution wasn't to text her. The solution wasn't to play through every scenario in my mind. The solution was to remind myself of who God is and his grace towards me and that he cares me. He ends this with, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So he closes the section by restating the point. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's not his way of saying that you need to worry about today, but stay in the moment. When we worry, we lose out on what's happening today. The stuff that is current and is here and now, the issues in front of you, the the relationships that are right now in front of you, the child that's growing up before your eyes, the assignment that God has for you today. So do you have anxiety? Are you worried? Maybe you're trying to keep up with the Joneses and you're grinding it away day after day to buy the new thing. Have you lost focus of what really matters in life? Of the things that will last for eternity? If so, take a time out. Reset. Look to God's creation. Jesus looked towards God's creation and he saw clearly what God had revealed to him that God cares for his creation and that he'll care much more for you. We can do the same thing. 
feeling worry, feeling anxiety, go for a little hike. We live in a beautiful area. See the birds. See the dying grass. And know that he cares for you so much more. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. For all that you've given us, we thank you that uh, even though we don't deserve your love, you've given it to us. We don't deserve your gift of salvation, and yet you've given it to us. We don't deserve your care, and yet you are a God who cares so thoroughly for us. You have communicated it to us in such an amazing way through your word, and even through nature, you have shown us how much you care for us. And Lord, we pray that as we meditate on this, you would help us to worry less, to have less anxiety. And as the anxiety builds like a bowling ball in our guts, sometimes we pray that you would help us to remember to not focus on the situation that's giving anxiety, but to focus on you and to trust you more. In your name we pray, amen.